Welcome to the Professional Services Pursuit, a podcast featuring expert advice and insights on the professional services industry. Again, I'm Brent, your host, and today I'm joined by Tom Rodenhauser. Tom is the managing partner of Kennedy Research Reports and has spent almost 30 years advising leading management and IT consulting firms on strategic growth, talent management, and marketing positioning. Really excited to have Tom here today. Tom, it's great to have you on. Some of our listeners, and I say some, it might be a few, could be familiar with the work or with your firm, Kennedy Research, but they might not be aware of the origins of the firm, that the research that you commission is very, very relevant to the services industry. Uh, Management consulting, IT consulting, different tiers of those firms and the industry as a whole. And since we're focused entirely on the services business, it'd be great. And we welcome and look forward to your insights today. So before we dive in, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and the origins and the background of Kennedy Research? Oh, sure thing, Brent. And and thanks for having me today. Uh, Really, really appreciate that. Kennedy has, as you mentioned, I've been doing this for about 30 years. Kennedy's been around a bit longer than that. Uh, The origin was really in newsletters, kind of, you know, the old paper models that people actually read. You know, the newsletters in those days were kind of the inside baseball of what was happening inside, in this case, the management consulting industry. Consulting is a, and continues to be a, a rather mysterious business. So back in the day, we wrote a lot about it. I wrote a lot about it. And then over the years, it evolved more into a market research business where we looked at the industry, we looked at where it was growing, kind of the size of the markets. Uh, We also looked at the capabilities of the providers and evaluated how well they did their job. So in a way, it was kind of a bit of a consumer reports approach to how the industry operated. The interesting thing about consulting is, unlike other professional services, it's not really regulated. Unlike accounting, Mm -hmm. where you have a CPA or in the law industry, you have to pass the bar, there's really nothing that stops you from being a management consultant other than your expertise and the credibility you have in helping clients solve problems. So, you know, we exist as an entity that looks at the industry, helps the industry understand its business. So in a way, we consult to consultants. It's an interesting business and we enjoy doing it. Oh, it's fascinating. And and when you speak of management consulting and you don't certainly don't have to name clients, I think we can in, infer who those are, but maybe some kind of some insight into the types of brands and firms and their offerings that you both study and then advise to. Sure, sure. So, you know, a lot of the name brands, people will use shorthand like the big four, speaking about the big audit and advisory firms like PwC and Deloitte, another shorthand MBB, talking about the McKinsey, Bain, BCG kind of world. And then you have Accenture, IBM, Capgemini. You know, these are all firms that are, holistically speaking, part of the consulting universe. And then there's a whole host of more specialized or boutique firms, ones that are name brands in our industry, like a Carney or a Booz Allen. They're well-known 
in certain circles. And then there's a, just tons of boutiques and specialists, whether it's by industry, function, or geography, that maybe are no more than 50 or 100 people. But they're really great at what they do, and they serve a certain niche. So we, we cover all those folks, and we do cover it at a global level. In our world, there are about 150 firms that we track actively that constitute a good share of the market. So keeping an eye on them kind of allows us to keep a finger on the pulse to the industry. That's great context and, and appreciate that. And sure. as we're recording this here, jumping off into calendar 2024 in January, there's quite a few themes, global economic pressures, this prevailing sense that the U.S. economy and certainly portions of the global economy sort of dodged a recession bullet in 2023, though the outlook in 2024 is still a bit bumpy. There are lots of press around the expansion, contraction, a little bit of a whipsaw around the big services firms, because they are market makers and set some of the tone and are good leading indicators of where services is going. But one of the trends even predating this year and the economic conditions notwithstanding is is this notion of um, productization of services. And, you know, from where we sit, we talk to a lot of service providers. Some of the probably 100 plus firms that you've referenced, as well as IT consultancies, boutique firms, certainly services within platform hybrids. And we've seen this building, I think, uh, momentum around this notion of taking services and packaging that into products, but still from the notion of you know service delivery from a management consultancy. It takes a lot of different shapes, everything from value pricing to deal complexion. But I noticed that you know on your website and at the conclusion of the podcast, we'll definitely let our listeners know where they can go and get some of your external facing research, which I think is um, really fascinating. Been through a few of the few of the reports. But on your blog, you had some research around the topic. One of these uh, reports is the corporatization of consulting, which you know speaks to changing management structures. And you touched on this as well as the productivity conundrum. But do you see this trend? Is this a a trend that's accelerating this notion of consulting firms evolving the model from large fee retainer, billable hour, engagements to more productization of services. How do you, you know, at Kennedy think of that and, and conceptualize that? Yeah, you know, it's it's a trend we've been seeing for a while now. When we talk about productization, when you think about consulting, there's really four things, four ways to drive a consulting business. There's fees, compensation, mm -hmm. utilization, and leverage, right? So there's a finite amount of time there's only so many hours you can bill. So 100% utilization, which is what firms aspire to, is achievable. But then you kind of burn people out, you lose people, you go through that attrition. Fees also have a cap on them. Uh, you can only raise fees so much. The whole idea of productization is really taking and shifting from this time and materials history of consulting and coming up with ways to deploy your resources, your people, in a way that's much more efficient. And the people, you know, a lot of firms talk about the people are the product. 
The problem with that is there aren't enough people. There's not enough time <laughs> for those people. So what you end up doing is you have to devise a way to scale your business, your consulting business via products. A lot of times the products, they can be technical. They can be technology. They can also be methodologies or processes, things that are standardized and that you can deploy that way. Most consulting firms would talk about products in that latter category, kind of unique methodologies or things that they do that make them distinct and are repeatable. But more and more as consulting shifts into this more technology and technical domain, we're seeing a lot more products. A good example of that is one of the firms we've worked with and we're studying, they developed a predictive maintenance tool that they were working with on a a large manufacturing client. In developing this tool, it allowed them to cut down on not only the maintenance issues, but also be able to predict in a way that extremely cut back on downtime for machinery. Sounds great. Now, in a normal, traditional consulting realm, the client would have owned that product. They would have owned that solution. But in this case, the consultant actually owned the IP. And the intent there was to then deploy it to other industries, other areas, kind of. So they developed a tool that they could deploy across industries as opposed to kind of having the singular relationship with the client. So that's kind of a real way to look at the productization that's occurring in the consulting industry. That's a really great way to conceptualize that. And and would you say it's an evolution that's born out of market shifts? And you kind of mentioned that there's a finite barrier when it, when it pertains to time. You know, there's only so much time. You can only sell so much time. Is it that? Is it margin pressure and the thresholds that clients are willing to pay for the services? Is, is it a mixture of both? It's it's kind of all of the above. I think part of it is, you know, I've, I've talked to managing partners at some of the big firms, and one of the things they'll admit to is there are only so many people, right? They're all kind of fishing from the same talent pool. At some point, you run out of the people and you run out of the projects in the traditional sense where you're going project to project to project and you're kind of staffing them up and then that project is over and you have to look six months out and have a pipeline built up. It's kind of a treadmill that keeps getting faster and the incline gets higher. So what's happening, it, you know, the, the fallback on that is, yes, then there's margin pressure, right? Because then you're dealing with projects that may be shorter duration, you can't charge as much in the fees, start squeezing the profits that way. Then you have clients, you know, when you look at the client equation, they're very outcome oriented, right? They want to hire the consultants to fix a problem. They want that solution very quickly and they want it deployed very quickly. So all of that kind of is constraining the traditional consulting model It's pushing the productization trend, but the challenge, and this is kind of where the consulting industry is at right now, is if you push too far into the product realm, you become just another vendor. One of the things that consultants always hold out as their distinctiveness, their reason to be, so to speak, is their objective problem solvers, 
right? They're not vendors. They're not pushing a product and saying, this is the solution you need. Although in some cases, that is what happens. It used to be when I started out in the industry that consultants would hold themselves out as 100% objective. We're pitching a solution, but we're solution agnostic in the sense of whatever tool it is out there that fixes the problem. They would recommend the best one for the client, and it may be different from client to client. Now you're seeing firms that are probably more like 60% agnostic. They are pushing certain solutions, and they're kind of doing it in a way that this is a solution that you need, Mr. Client or Miss Client, and it's something we built before, and so we know it works. So there's kind of this balance or dance that's occurring between going towards the vendor route but not really being a vendor in the classic sense. We think of consulting, and to your point, it's, I think, to a lot of the market uh, or maybe general populace a bit nebulous. I mean, most in the corporate world have some exposure, some experience to you know, the large brands that we referenced and understand at least nominally what strategy consulting is, maybe the problem-solving outcome kind of based um, modeling and then it's sort of transition over time to kind of hybridization a bit into managed services and in outsourcing and, and everything in between. But how resistant to that change in this evolution have you found kind of that traditional firm, which was built on, you know, the partner model, uh, revenue producing, certainly results, but selling and delivering high-level expertise and outcomes to, to clients to now evolving into more of these repeatable processes, projects, quantifiable type products. Yeah, you know, one of the things to touch on here is kind of the cultural shift. It's both demographic and cultural. If you think about consulting, you know, 100 years ago is kind of when you can say consulting, management consulting really started. And at the time, they called themselves management engineers as a way to try to talk about themselves as something more scientific than maybe it was, combat the notion of being charlatans. And then over the years, uh, if you think about it in uh, generations, really we're on about our fourth generation of management consulting. The culture of consulting over those years has been built on the partnership model, and the partnership model is one of credibility, trust. You know, if you look at any firm's core value statements, it's about client trust, it's about objectivity, it's about solving problems. But at the same time, culture is a very difficult thing to put your arms around. Each firm looks the same, but every firm will tell you that their culture is different from their competitors. That's why they attract people. That being said, I think what we're seeing is a kind of a challenge to the traditional culture. So there's this shift of moving away from the trusted advisor, where the hierarchy of the partnership is, is a pyramid, essentially. An analyst moves all the way up to a partner along maybe a 10 to 14 year career track. Partners, when they retire, are essentially bought out by the incoming partners. It's a model that's worked for a long time. But now we're seeing this kind of pressure 
to change that, to change to more of a corporate matrix, if you will, because the more you become a product-like company, the less the partner organization model works from a, a governance and management standpoint. And I'm talking, I'm talking at a kind of a macro level amongst the large firms. When you talk about the rest of the industry, if you're a smaller consulting firm, the partnership model can work just fine. But there are certain thresholds you reach from a size standpoint where it just becomes too unwieldy. You know, one of the comments made to me early in my career is that the partnership is too big when you can't fit everybody around the conference table. So, you know, from that standpoint, there's a lot of firms that are very large that have the partnership model and are still operating that way. But that increased pressure of how you shift not only to this product mindset, but also how do you attract the next generation of partners. I think that's one of the biggest cultural shifts we've seen. One of the big demographic changes too. I speak at universities every year, business schools, where we talk about the consulting industry. Part of that evolution is I think there are less people interested in consulting, less young people who are looking at consulting perhaps as a career. They're looking at it more as a stepping stone, which it is, but they're not necessarily aspiring to be that partner at one of these global firms. They're kind of looking at these alternate, whether it's you know the hyperscalers, the Googles of the world, or they're looking at startups. You know, they're looking at kind of wealth creation through a different avenue and through a different lens. And so there's this cultural backdrop that we're dealing with or that the firms are dealing with on top of just the business pressures of shifting the model. That demography and shifts you brought up are really interesting, right? There's a pretty popular Instagram account kind of meme generator, the crazy management consultants. And I, I don't know if you've seen it, but it sort of brings a lot of humor and light to anyone who's been inside one of the big firms, yeah. you know, working hundred hour weeks. And I think that the please fix hashtag was kind of born out of that. It'd be interesting, I think, to see, and it's probably you know, we're not writing with indelible ink here with the large software platforms um, having experienced some bumpy rides of their own. If, if there is maybe some leveling out or balancing where maybe a form of consulting does come back into a top two or three career trajectory choice or whether it's um, continues to just be seen as, as not, not an optimal long-term wealth creation career path. I think there's the romance of consulting. When you think about the industry and what it aspires to do, it's it's about solving the big problems, right? You have the ear of the board, the ear of the C-suite. And what you're doing is you're kind of, you have a, a sense of ego, if you will, when you're a consultant that you can go in and help these companies solve their biggest, you know, most important problems. The reality of that is quite different. You're solving problems, but you're never really solving them completely because in the old consulting model, you know, I always use the medical analogy where a lot of consultants, what happens is, you know, the client is the patient. The client comes in to visit the doctor who's the consultant. You know, if you go in to visit the doctor and your knee hurts, 
the doctor is going to look at your knee. A consultant is going to look at your knee, but then they're going to look at your elbow, and then they're going to look at your hip, and then they're going to check you know, the back of your neck, and they're going to find all these problems that need fixing. So what ends up happening is the consultant, you know, the reputation of the consultant is once they get in, they never leave. And that goes back to the old project-to-project sustainability of the business model. And I think a lot of folks who get into consulting, when they realize that the business is predicated on kind of solving the problem, but also looking for more problems to solve, they can become mm-hmm. a bit disenchanted, a bit disillusioned. Um, and that's where you do get these memes and you do get the you know, HBO series about consultants and things like and, right. and tell all books and all that stuff. Right. And they're good reads and they're, you know, fun and, and all that kind of stuff. But the reality is consultants do good work or, you know, they wouldn't be around. They wouldn't be hired. But I do believe that that bit of a disillusionment about the industry exists in this generation, the younger generation that's upcoming. And I think that's also, uh, you know, the mystery of consulting, sort of the veil has been pulled back in a way that people understand what consultants do a lot more. They, They know that it's about research, it's about analytics, it's about identifying the problem, coming up with a solution. It's not just witch doctors rubbing sticks together kind of thing. In all the firms and the types that you study and that, that 100 plus or so constellation of everyone from the, the big market makers down to the boutiques, give us a, a sense of a firm that's maybe been doing some evolution that you think are doing well. And happy to say a brand name if you feel sure. comfortable or, or if you could describe it in more abstract terms, but a firm that's really going through this evolution, becoming the not your grandparents' consulting firm and and seeing a future in in consulting. Yeah. There's probably a few we could talk about, but one that stands out, Accenture. Everyone knows Accenture, mm-hmm. and it's really more of a technology sure. firm now. But if you look back to the roots, you know, it was Anderson Consulting. When I got into this business, Anderson Consulting and Arthur Anderson were joined at the hip, was a accounting firm that had a consulting business, And then, you know, dates myself when I talk about this, but there was a whole big, messy blow up and a divorce. Anderson Consulting went out, became Accenture, and started down this path of evolving from a technology-oriented consulting firm to essentially a platform builder. That's what they are today. It's interesting because I think if you talk about Accenture, you might not even call them consultants anymore or a professional services firm they're more creating this new category you know we call it platform building but they're outside the confines of consulting for sure and i think some of the big four firms you know the deloitte's and the pwc's are following that path but they're still constrained their consulting businesses are still connected to traditional audit and tax businesses. We saw what happened with EY last year when mm-hmm. it you know, wanted to split off and it didn't happen. And there's fallout from that. You know, we see this evolution of these 
big mega professional services firms moving beyond traditional consulting space. And Accenture is the best example of that. And then at the other end of this spectrum, when you look at a, a BCG or a McKinsey or a Bain, there's room in this industry for a Harvard, even if the Ivy League goes away, which is kind of a way to characterize that the strategy segment, which is, you know, everyone, when they think about management consulting, they think about strategy, strategy advisors. Strategy as a functional area within consulting is less than 7% of the overall market. So there's not a lot of strategy work being done by consulting firms. A lot of it is operations and technology. So with that being said, the traditional strategy firms, not only those three, but also kind of the the others that are in that space, they're challenged. They Part of the agenda there is they have to become more operations-oriented. They have to become more technical in the generative AI space and data and analytics, or they can shrink and kind of protect their space as strategic alignment advisors, kind of, you know, the boardroom position that they hold. But there's only so much of that work that's available to them. So when you look at what's happening with uh, those firms and kind of the investments they're making, they're looking more and more like they want to be in the data and analytics and the technical space, but they want to be in it in a very high-profile, limited way almost like prototype builders, if you would think about it that way, whereas an Accenture would be an industrial builder, kind of an actual building the solution and owning the solution. The other end, we see some of these firms prototyping and doing it in very select industries, but that's it. You know, they're not going to go any further than that. You know, what you've described, maybe the the slice of the pie that's devoted to pure true strategy consulting is you know seven ten percent would you say that that is the trend that leads some people to say broadly consulting is in a period of atrophy but their work is out there it's just the dimension of the work has really changed yeah you know when we look at this what was interesting is the industry was on a pretty solid growth trajectory through the 2010s when COVID hit, consulting actually surged in certain sectors like mm-hmm. consumer, wholesale, things like that. It, it quite honestly exploded from 2020 to 2022. And that's because clients, you know, were in a state of distress. They have consultants on speed dial and they hit them when they needed to solve some pretty critical problems. Now we're coming out of that and there's kind of a new normal it's growth and decline at the same time because we measure the industry by functional areas like supply chain and marketing and sales, things like that. We also measure it by client industries, so healthcare, financial services, and then by geography. So you can kind of look at the industry across those three dimensions and then gauge where it's growing and where it's not growing. There are certain pockets where it's growing in the functional areas, things like data and analytics. You know, I talked about AI. That translates into areas like customer experience and marketing and sales. Those areas are 
growing because that's where the need is. Uh, likewise, in industries, you know, we saw a big surge in consumer during COVID. Now we're seeing more of a surge in resources and things like that. And that ties in with environmental sustainability, things like that. Geographically speaking, we're seeing the emerging economies. Consulting historically has been dominated. It's a very Western, so it's a, a North America, Western Europe, and a lot of the spend has always been concentrated there. We're seeing more Southeast Asia. We're seeing more, you know, Mexico is, is now, Brazil is growing. So there's pockets where the consulting industry is growing, and likewise, you know, we're seeing declines in other sectors. So the old tale of two cities, you know, that's that's what we're seeing right now. To follow on that in the general kind of business press, Wall Street Journal had an article right before the holidays that talking mainly about some contraction, right? That the, the big four, EY, KP, Deloitte had actually, in addition to reducing overall headcount, we're really starting to reduce partner headcount. Maybe that, that talks to some of that whips on supply and demand. You know, from the Kennedy point of view, and I'm sure a lot of listeners are really going to be interested in this, what kind of economic indicators do you see or any signals in the market when there might be some stabilization and we go from contraction to growth again? Probably not, you know, to your point, torrid growth we had in um, post-pandemic period, but what are you seeing? What are you counseling your, your clients on at this point? There's four mega trends that we've identified that at a very high level are driving not necessarily the need for consulting services, but tangentially driving consulting services. You know, the first is this idea that we're no longer in the free money era. Tighter credit, the cost of capital has increased exponentially from 10 years ago and continues to be tight. That makes spending, consulting has always been a discretionary spend, and, and so it makes spending that much more, clients be more judicious about spending. The trade policies, industrial policies, kind of the big acts and legislations that have occurred over the last few years, they have an impact on consulting services in terms of how clients are going to react to those trade policies. So, you know, you think about the Infrastructure Act and where all that money is being spent. It's a good example of that. Geopolitical risks, we have a variety of risks there, wars that are going on, disruption in supply chains. Again, they're to be known what the effects will be, but the consultants are always dealing with that kind of situation as a result of the geopolitical risks. And then AI in general, I think, is a big unknown. A lot of the firms, you'll read uh, press announcements about the firms talking about AI. In most cases, they've been experimenting on themselves. So they've used AI to do things like pull all of their knowledge together in a way that what used to take a few weeks to do discovery for them internally on a particular industry or a particular solution now takes seconds. So they can kind of pull together using Gen AI all of their knowledge that can then be applied 
in client situations. So that's great, but we don't know exactly what AI is really going to do. If you think about AI is primarily prominent in the software development sector, you know, that's where a lot of AI occurs right now. As it moves out into other sectors, will it displace consultants? You know, that's one of the the big unknowns because consulting is a knowledge business. AI is all about knowledge. We don't think it's going to displace consulting necessarily, but it may supplant it in a way that has an effect on the consulting industry. Those four big mega trends, each individually are having an impact on consulting. We don't know yet exactly what impact it will be. Consultants historically have thrived in times of chaos. Whenever there's uh, problems to be solved, you know, whenever there's chaotic times, consultants usually benefit. We've always characterized it that consultants were a step ahead of the clients. If you think about it as kind of a race, mm-hmm. the consultants were always a step or two ahead. Now, more and more, we see the consultants running parallel with their clients. There's a reason a lot of them use these terms partnering. You know, we're partnering with our clients to revert all the way back to the productization idea. A lot of this collaboration, partnering, a lot of the work that they're going to be doing with clients necessitates that not that they stay there for an unlimited number of projects, but that they stay there to truly partner and collaborate with the client. So they basically have a marriage with clients that heretofore was uh, more of a dating situation. That's a good summary. And I think, I guess the key for the outlook is these trends don't seem like they're going to be decelerating. And it would probably remain to be seen, you know, of, of course, how does how does AI ultimately unfold in the model? And then all the all the other economic and geopolitical pressures you noted, it'll be interesting to see if they, if we do see that kind of bounce back in time of um, chaos that you described. Reflecting back, the last time we had this kind of disruption was when ERP came on the scene in the, the late 80s, early 90s. The consulting industry at the time weren't known as technologists per se, but they basically altered their business model to develop and become systems implementers, SIs. And they did that to capitalize on the ERP craze and kind of serve their clients. They never fundamentally altered their business model. They just kind of bolted on the SI business onto their existing consulting businesses as operations and strategy businesses. And they were able to exist and grow even as ERP morphed into digital and beyond. But now we're kind of looking at something with AI where it's going to be probably much more disruptive than ERP. Mm -hmm. And I think the consulting firms just can't bolt on AI like they did SI. And as a result, they really have to fundamentally look at their business, the business that they're in and the business that they want to be in. 
Mm. And that's that's probably the key question right now for a lot of them is what business do we want to be in? We were looking forward to this episode and I speaking for myself and I think a lot of the listeners, it has not disappointed. You've covered a real great range of topics from the provenance of Kennedy all the way through where we're at in the current moment. I'd love for you to maybe articulate to listeners, you know, I referenced the blog and you do publish some research there. But give certainly the you know the website URL as well as some of the maybe research topics you've published as well as perhaps tease a report that you've got coming out. Sure. So KennedyResearchReports.com. That's that's where you can find us. We do our research. Uh, we do competitive landscapes market analysis on as I mentioned all these growth markets. We also have a report coming out. It's actually a twice a year report called the Kennedy Market Monitor. And what it does is it actually looks in real time where the growth is in the industry. So we do a market size and forecast by function, by industry, and by geo. We also do it by service delivery. So how firms actually deliver their services. And then we also have a section on the investments that firms are making, both acquisitions, mergers, and alliances, but also the internal investments. What are they doing from an organizational standpoint? What are they doing to actually build their capabilities and change the way they're going to market? So that report's actually coming out at the end of the month. Uh, We'll have more information on the website in terms of how you can obtain it. But uh, those are some things that are coming down the pike for us. No, that's great. And Again, the report and the blog can be found at KennedyResearchReports.com. Tom, this has been great. I certainly learned quite a bit the way that you identify, partition, analyze this massive industry and one that we're very focused in in our platform. And then, of course, a lot of our listenership is. So I really appreciate the time and the uh, the insight. We'll have to have you on again, I think. Happy to do so, Brent, and really happy to be part of it. So thanks. Thanks for the opportunity. And for our listeners, thanks for listening, as always. If you have any follow-up questions for Tom or myself, feel free to email them to podcast at cantata.com. We'd love to answer them. And thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, let us know by giving the show a five-star review on your favorite podcast platform and leaving a comment. If you haven't already subscribed to the show, you can do so anywhere you get podcasts on any podcast app. And to learn more about the power of Cantata's purpose-built technology, go to cantata.com. Thanks again for listening.